This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle. And this is the week of October 19th, 2020. And on Monday, October 19th, we get the contestants, Joe Aquino, an analyst from Chula Vista, California, Nancy Bosaker, a software engineer originally from Peoria, Illinois, and Kristen Husek, an attorney from San Francisco, California, whose two-day cash winnings total $8,000. And we get the Jeopardy round categories Zoom, Military Rank Language, The American Flag, Novel, Poem, M in quotation marks, and Play. Once again, our listeners are reminded to uh, go and check out our back catalog, because... That Poem category. Poem category. I did done talked mm-hmm. about Poe. Yep. Um, I still forgot that it was Murders rather than Murder. Oh, in the Rue Morgue. In the Rue Morgue. Though, that, yeah. that's fair. That's a that's a, a nitpicky trivia thing. Yeah, yeah, that's the same mistake that that Nancy made. You were supposed to provide the two M words that sandwich the phrase in the rue, um, and she said murder and morgue, but it's murders. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was glad I'd heard your deep dive. In the Zoom category, at the $200 level, the educational kids' TV show Zoom ran from 1972 to 1978 on this network. Uh, That's PBS. Kristen got that one. I feel like maybe they should have addressed that there was a reboot. I mean, that's a lot of information to get in there. Sure. But it also ran, again, in like the late 90s, I think. Did you have that? Late 90s, I was around 10 years old. Yeah. I do not remember Zoom on PBS at that point. But I trust yeah, I trust I what you're saying. I believe you. Mm-hmm. They did a reboot in 1999, and it ran until 2005. Wow, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was developed by the PBS station close to me. So I had friends who were like trying to audition to be Zoom kids. Oh. Yeah. Is that the is that the it. one out of out of Boston? Yeah, WGBH. WGBH, yeah, the one we all know. Mm-hmm. Do we? I don't know. I have I have no WGBH is like I don't know. I recognize those call letters, and I have never yeah. lived in Boston, so yeah. The original Zoom was out of GBH, also apparently. Not actually an expert on this. I am just looking at Wikipedia as we talk. Um, Isn't that what we do this uh, whole show? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> There was a funny interaction uh, going into and following the first Daily Double, uh, which we found in the military rank language category at the $1,000 level. Um, Joe found that one. He'd gotten the 600, nobody got the 800, and then he said, let's finish that off with the 1,000. And uh, he wagered 1,000 of his 1,600. Kristen was at 1,400 at that point. Nancy was at negative 200. He got the clue of the human body and correctly responded, corporal, what is corporal? Mm. But then Alex pointed out that they had not, in fact, finished it off because the $200 
clue in the category was still available. Awkward. Um, yeah, yeah. So he he asked for the two hundred uh, and said, "Well, now we'll finish it off." <laughs> so that was kind of a funny moment. Yeah. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Kristen and Joe both stand at thirty six hundred, and Nancy is in third place at sixteen hundred. We get the double Jeopardy round categories. First ladies, movies perfect for a matinee, inside man, uh, the three letters M-A-N will appear within each correct response, primates, triangular, and Europe. These are some, uh, some, some less, uh, I don't know, less cutesy category. Yeah, these felt more kind of straightforward in the naming. I also noticed th- this game especially, I thought, I mean, this is always Jeopardy, but it seemed especially true in this game. There was a lot that you could get by having your fundamentals really sorted out. Mm-hmm. If you know the capital of Latvia, it doesn't matter whether you know anything about the architectural style that's being mentioned in the Europe question. Right Back in the single Jeopardy round, um, there was a clue about uh, proclamation for Flag Day, but what it came down to is who was president in 1916. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, there was, a, there was a lot of that kind of thing, where really it was coming down to, did you memorize your country capitals? Did you memorize your first ladies? Did you memorize, you know, your presidents by year? And if you have those straight, then, you know, then you have it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right, so Daily Double number two comes up pretty early in the round. It is pick number three. They started in the first ladies category and went top to bottom, or at least started to go top to bottom. Um, It's at the $1,200 level. Kristen finds it. Uh, She is in the lead at $4,400 over Joe's $3,600 and Nancy's $2,000, and she wagers $1,200, the value of the clue. You don't see that terribly often anymore. Mm Mm-mm. Uh, she gets the clue, as played by Sally Field, she laments that all people will remember is, I was crazy and I ruined your happiness. Hmm. Accurately, that is Mary Todd Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kristen gets that correct. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what film that was. Was it? I believe it was Lincoln. Yeah, that's what, that's like the Daniel Day-Lewis one, right? Yeah, with, with okay. Danny Day, as, as yeah. his friends call him. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so you two are close like that? You and yeah. you and Daniel Day-Lewis? Yeah, me and Danny. We go way back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Daily Double number three comes up as the 14th pick at the $2,000 level of primates. And Joe finds this one. He wagers $3,200, um, which is a true Daily Double. Kristen is at 8400 at this point, and Nancy is at 2000 So I think he's uh, right to try and make a make a big move here he gets the clue about thirty thousand years old an early homo sapiens skull called this one was discovered in 1868 at the french site of the same name he doesn't know it right before time runs out he guesses what is homo sapiens and then Alex starts to give the answer, and he immediately recognizes it. Uh, this is Cro-Magnon, mm-hmm. which I think was a Learned League question a while back. Yeah, I, I um, seem to recall that also. I, I guess that clue, it's not its not that strangely worded. My first encounter with it, I was like, I could see how that the wording could be confusing, but I guess it's not really mm-hmm. all that bad. Yeah. I spent most of the time trying to remember 
where it is in France uh, that there are the cave paintings, mm-hmm. which oh. I can I can never remember the name of that site, but it wouldn't have mattered because I was trying to think of the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, Lascaux, is that right? That sounds right. Something like yeah. Just a kind of a rough game in general here. Yeah. For a little bit in Double Jeopardy, Kristen had a really solid lead, but for all of the first round and portions of the second round, uh, things were pretty close. But um, just uh, quite a few wrong answers, a lot of triple stumpers. They just kind of struggled with this board. Yeah. So going into Final Jeopardy, uh, Kristen is in the lead at 8,800. Nancy is right behind at 8,000, and Joe is at 3,200. Uh, and they get the Final Jeopardy category, Phrases from Literature. And the clue is, this two-word phrase in the Arabian Nights may have come from an herb bearing seed pods that burst when ripe. Uh, and they all three get it correct. Mm-hmm. And they all three nearly bet it all. <laughs> Joe bet yeah. everything, and he cor- correctly responded, what is open sesame? Uh, so he doubles up. Nancy also bet all of her 8,000 and got it correct with what is open sesame. Uh, and then Kristen wagered 8,008 and also got what is open sesame, mm-hmm. which means that she is our winner. That's Three right. day champion. So on Tuesday, October 20th, we have the contestants Maddie Kahan, a pediatric neurology resident, originally from Agora Hills, California. Carlos Chidas, a civil engineer from Burbank, California, and Kristen Husek, an attorney from San Francisco, California, whose three-day cash winnings total $24,808. And we get the Jeopardy round categories, the era of good feelings, pop culture, three-syllable words, military matters, literary quotes, and let it roll. Mm-hmm. On the very first clue which was the $200 level of let it roll it was a triple stumper the clue is we're going to roll out this cylindrical wooden container and Alex said well of course it's the barrel um I'm not sure I've heard that expression I'm gonna gonna google it to see how old it is roll out the barrel uh oh it's a song which became popular worldwide during World War II. The music was composed mm. by the Czech musician Jaromir Vivoda <laughs> in 1927. Well, how could I have forgotten? Oh, of course, the Andrews sisters did a version. I think Lawrence Welk. <laughs> of course, how could we not know? Rachi. Uh-huh. Probably. All right. Ooh, no, I can get, I, I mean, I I can get, a, I can get the sheet music for it at jwpepper.com. <laughs> I found my new favorite song, apparently. <laughs> Come on, Alex. You got to know we're not as old as you. Yeah. I mean, cylindrical wooden container points to barrel. Sure, but not enough to risk money on it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm putting rollout in quotation marks. <laughs> <laughs> you can name a cylindrical wooden container. Or you can just know the the polkas of the of the World War Two era. Louise, yeah, man. Either way, two hundred dollar Jeopardy clue. Yeah, great. Absurd. Um. Yeah. Uh, the rest of that category is pretty good, though. Actually, a lot of this, a lot of this board, I, I enjoyed. Yeah, I thought it was a good board. I like the pop culture category. Surprisingly. Mm-hmm. We had a good, good joke at the $800 level in that category. It was a triple stumper, which I'm 
may just have been out of embarrassment. Uh, the clue is for an ad, Preparation H wanted this song, a big hit in 1963. The singer's daughter, Roseanne, said no. And that was Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash. <laughs> which is uh, just That's, spot yeah. on. <laughs> and then we got a Groundskeeper Willie question after that, so that was fun. Yeah, that was fun. All right, so Daily Double number one shows up in the literary quotes category. It's at the $800 level. Carlos locates it. He's at 2000 behind Kristen's 2400 and ahead of Maddie's 800 and he bets it all. And he gets the clue. Her to Roger Chillingworth. Quote, ask me not, thou shalt never know. Uh, and he guesses who is Jane Eyre. That is Hester Prynne. Mm-hmm. So really, you just have to... Have to know that Roger Chillingworth is from the Scarlet Ladder. Right. Because that, that quote itself is not particularly, like, unique. <laughs> mm-hmm. Another, kind of kind of another rough uh, opening round, um, and in particular, I'm noticing because of that and, and some other misses and triple stumpers, um, the total of the scores at the, at the first commercial break, across the three of them, the three of them have all together earned 4600 at the end of the first commercial break by the time they clear the board after the commercial break the the total for the three of them is 3400 they have overall lost money yes um in the second half of the round yeah which oof that's hard yeah so like like you're saying at the end of the jeopardy round Kristen and is at 800 carlos is at 600 and maddie's at 2000 those are not 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 stellar scores. Uh, yeah, not where you want to be. Right. And in the Double Jeopardy round, we get the categories World Heritage Sites in the U.S., as listed by UNESCO. Dennis, anyone? Science, colon, missed it by that much. Which really just made me want it to be a get smart category, but it wasn't mm. that. Um, comedians. Pianists, painters, and playwrights, and you gotta have art, A-R-T, in quotation marks. Uh, Daily Double number two comes up pretty early as the fourth pick of the round. It's at the $1,600 level of science, missed it by that much. Maddie finds it, wagers just 1000 of her 3600 so maybe not so confident in this category, um, less than the true value of the clue. Kristen is at 800 and Carlos is at 600 um, still at this point. She gets the clue. In the early 1800s, John Dalton made pioneering tables of this measure, though he gave seven for oxygens. 15.999 is correct. And I think she couldn't quite figure out what it was that the clue was asking for yeah. there. She ended up guessing chlorine. The correct response here is atomic weight. Mm-hmm. Yep. So... She had just kind of started getting herself out to a little bit of a lead, and then that kind of pushed her back in that other direction. Man. Mm -hmm. But then, uh, about halfway through the round, Carlos just kind of takes over. Yeah. He decides to uh, start answering questions and not getting any wrong. Just sort of found his stride. Yeah. And he does find the third daily double. It's in the pianists, painters, and playwrights category, which... I had a good time with that category. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, It's at the $800 level, pick number 19. He is in a good lead already at 9,000. Uh, Kristen is at negative 400 and Maddie's back at 2,600. 
Uh, he wagered 7,000, really wanted to uh, put the nail in the coffin here. He gets the clue, the sweet life of this comedy playwright included title stops at California and London ones. Uh, and he gets that right. That's Neil Simon. Mm-hmm. He had kind of a, a celebratory moment after he got it right, too. Mm. Um, yeah, a fist pump of, uh, of victory. And, you know, I mean, with that kind of lead that he'd just locked in for himself, you know, he pretty much had the had the game. Yeah. Um, at that point. Right. Especially, I mean, yeah, looking at the overall performance in the rest of the game, you got to feel good there. Yeah, for sure. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Carlos has a lock game with 20,400. Um, Maddie is at 4,600. Um, Kristen sadly finishes in the red. She's at negative 3,600. Um, I think trying to get back on the plus side, she took, um, took a couple of guesses, you know, kind of knowing that her time was running out. If they were, if you're in the negative, it doesn't matter how much in the negative you are. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, so better, better to take a shot at that point. So just Carlos and Maddie play in Final Jeopardy, where the category is classical music. And the clue is part of this famous 12 minute opening piece is called March of the Swiss Soldiers. Maddie has wagered 4,600. That's everything. And guesses what is La Bagatelle? Uh, that's not correct. I don't know. Is that a thing? I don't know. Uh, bagatelle. It's that's kind of a general. A bagatelle is just like a type of piece of music. Gotcha. Okay, cool. And Carlos is on the right track, but not quite close enough. Um, he has wagered ten thousand, and uh, responds, "What is what William Tell? Uh, <laughs> what? He didn't get the is <laughs> there." The contestant coordinators have you write down what or who. Um, before the clue is revealed, um, mm. but they don't tell you whether to write is or, or are. are. Yeah. So ideally you would add that, but you don't have to. Your question doesn't have to be grammatically correct. Anyway, uh, they were looking here for the William Tell Overture. Yeah. William Tell is the whole opera, so they needed the name of the opening piece. Yeah, they, they specified the 12-minute opening piece. Mm-hmm. And listeners, if you're like, mm, not really into classical music, I'm sure I haven't heard that. You've heard it. Mm -hmm. Go look it up. You've heard it for sure. Yes. You've heard it in any cartoon or commercial. It's very common. Or at least the main yeah. theme from it is. Mm -hmm. All right. So that means that on Wednesday, we get the contestants Cole Bolton, an AI writer originally from South Hero, Vermont. Amy Lim a library page from Arcadia, California, and Carlos Chaidez, a civil engineer from Burbank, California, who yesterday won $10,400. And we get the Jeopardy round categories in the state. Science Digest, the ABCs of golf with the letters A, B, and C in quotation marks. Cooking and food. Exercise your dot dot dot. And five letter words. I felt like that was an opportunity for a pun there at the at the end but uh they did not yeah. they did not take that low-hanging fruit for once <laughs> for once indeed i was expecting exercise your to be like a fitness kind of category but for the most part it was other uses of uh the verb to exercise 
exercise your right to protest in one of these actions, like the women's one on Versailles back in 1789. That's uh, exercise your right to protest in a march. Exercise the Boston breed of this frequently. It's not only big dogs that need to be highly active. I think they did they have a I don't think they had a picture. There's no nope. there's no indication in the archive that there was a picture. Nope. That's a terrier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I guess that that is exercise, although, it, you know, for dogs, not for not for humans. Right. At the thousand dollar level, there was a question about uh, the German born husband of Queen Victoria exercising influence over her. So. Uh, so, yeah, not all not a fitness category, it turns out. Although there was one question about triceps. Right. Dilly double number one comes up in the cooking and food category at the $600 level as the 21st pick. Cole finds this one and wagers 2500 of his $7,000. Um, he's in a pretty solid lead at this point. Carlos has 1400 and Amy has negative 200 He gets the clue. The name of this French stew of fish and vegetables comes from words meaning boil and low. And it seemed to me he struggled a little bit th- with this. And then he guessed what is bouillabaisse. Uh, that is correct. Nice. Yeah. I missed the, uh, the oregano question at the $800 level. They had a picture what? of it, and it was it was really super zoomed in, and it just maybe I haven't seen fresh oregano. I don't know. It reminded me of sage, which didn't make sense with the clue. The clue, the written part of the clue was the leaves of this aromatic herb, also called wild marjoram, are used in pasta sauce. And I know that generally we don't associate sage with pasta sauce, but no. it just looked like sage to me. Mm. Um, yeah. So, whoops. Mm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Carlos is at 3,800, Amy is at 200, and Cole has $10,900. It's really been his round. And in the double Jeopardy round, we get the category Architects and Architecture, Broadway Debuts, Japanese Emperors, It's All Fake, A Diamond, Diamond in quotation marks, and In the Rough Draft. Ha <laughs> ha. There we go. There it is. We are back to the punning. It's a close one. They did better with this with this round, and and, I, and really this game overall was a a bit a bit better. Although um, although Cole did uh, did seem pretty dominant throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right up till the end, though. Yeah, and I'll get ya. Yeah. Let's see. We across the whole game we had. Did they miss? Did they have any unrevealed? They did not. And between the three of them, they had 54 correct answers. So only six were triple stumpers or missed daily doubles. That that's a, Those are pretty good. Yeah, pretty good numbers. Yeah, combined Corey out of 39,000. Yeah, they, they did a good job with this board, with, this, with both boards. Yeah, yeah, good game here. And as you said, Cole was really super dominant right up until the last second, but we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I had read about in the rough draft category uh, at the $1,600 level, uh, her only surviving manuscript is of the last two chapters of a draft of persuasion. She found them flat and rewrote them. I had, uh, that's Jane Austen. Amy got that one. And I had actually just read about this. Um, I was reading a book about punctuation, um, I know. Uh, uh, called, I'm, I'm sorry, um, I fell asleep with you telling me about that. 
it was really interesting, actually, called Making the Point. Yeah, Making the Point, uh, the persnickety story of English punctuation. That talked uh, and, and this came up. Yeah, no, it, it, it was. Mm-hmm. It was fascinating. Apparently, people just used dashes all the time. Um, oh. And then the editor would punctuate it for them. Oh, no, my man. My music history professor in grad school would have would have had a fit. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, if you use the wrong kind of dash at the wrong time, mm-mm, mm-mm. why aren't you taking this seriously? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, in in handwriting, I mean, like when when handwriting was more prevalent, um, people would use like all kinds of different lengths of dashes to indicate like kind of what length of pause they intended. You know, there wasn't just like an N dash and an M dash, which I have learned uh, get their name because they are the same width as N and M, hmm. uh, like the pieces of type are, respectively. You know, you, if you if you meant a really long pause, you would just keep your dash going, <laughs> you know, uh, just right on, you know, across a good portion of the page. Yeah. And looking at looking at uh, these surviving pages of manuscript, they can see that Austin's punctuation style was very casual. Mm. Uh, and uh, and her editor did the punctuation for her. Interesting. Um, yeah. They avoided that Broadway debuts category like the plague. Yeah, it it mostly hung out till the end. Although uh, Cole did find Daily Double number two there. Mm. It was pick number 22. At the $1,200 level, he apparently either didn't want to risk his lead or did not feel confident, or both. Uh, he was way up at 18500 Carlos was at 8200 and Amy was at 7400 And he wagered a mere $500. And he gets the clue, Catherine McPhee served up a fine performance as server and pie maker Jenna in this musical. And he guesses what is rent. I have no idea, but that's waitress. Mm-hmm. It's a fun show. So right off of that five hundred dollar loss, um, he calls the next clue. He asks for uh, Japanese emperors at the eight hundred dollar level, and it is daily double number three. Ooh, back to back. Yeah, and this time he wagers a thousand. Um, Carlos and Amy have the same scores at this point, of course, and he gets the clue. Ironically, Showa the period during which this 20th century emperor reigned, can translate to bright peace. And he correctly responds, who is Hirohito? Mm-hmm. I think he really didn't want to find the Daily Doubles in these categories. <laughs> he seemed like, <laughs> you know, like you you always want to find the Daily Double, but like he just, like, he was like, uh, like there was a, a little bit of facial expression of like, oh, all right, okay, I guess I have to take a Daily Double in Broadway debuts and Japanese emperors. Yeah. But he did get Hirohito. Yeah, he did. So he got all three mm-hmm. of the Daily Doubles in this game. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Cole is up to 21,000. But Amy has moved up to 12,600, so it is not a lock game. And Carlos is at 7,000. They get the category screenwriters and the clue. This once blacklisted screenwriter of Spartacus got a posthumous credit and an Oscar for a 1953 film. <laughs> Carlos wagers a thousand and writes, who is not Kubrick? He wrote Kubrick really big, too. Yeah. Which is not incorrect, but it is not correct. Yeah. Uh, because it isn't 
It isn't Stanley Kubrick or any other Kubrick. Amy has bet it all, and she writes who is Trumbo, and that is correct. So she doubles up, and Cole uh, writes who is Gold. So he drops down, which means that Amy, with a score of 25,200, is the winner for the day, despite Cole's strong Mm -hmm. performance throughout the whole game. That's right. He did not have a lock, and uh, she made the wager she needed to. He made a correct wager. Also, he it was a it was a cover bet and a little bit. Um, but since since he missed it, he uh, he was within striking distance. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So on Thursday, we have the contestants Colin Davy, a data scientist originally from Chicago, Illinois, Lindsay Packer, a miniaturist originally from Los Angeles, California, and Amy Lim, a library page from Arcadia, California, whose one-day cash winnings total 25200 And we get the Jeopardy round categories, literary characters, American superlatives, chain stores, abbreviated bands, things to do on a rainy day, and when A becomes the first letter, mm-hmm. which was, of course, a wordplay category. Um, so, for example, a labyrinth turns into this word meaning to astonish greatly. So the correct response there is a maze, because if you add an A at the beginning of maze, you get a maze. Mm-hmm. I thought these were kind of tricky. They were they were kind of tricky. I got I got to all of them, but um, oh, nice. I missed a couple, but I had children climbing on me at the time, so that's hardly an excuse. Yeah. If the children are in the same room, I'm like, well, I'm not hearing any of these. <laughs> yeah. We had a little bit of a struggle with the American superlatives category. A wrong guess from Colin that turned into a triple stumper at the $400 level. Um, 275 million cubic yards of material were used in the largest of these American barriers on 10 mile, 10 mile wash. Is that right? Yeah. On 10 mile wash in Arizona. Colin said, what is the Hoover Dam? That was too specific. He should have just said dam. Uh, the largest of these American barriers was the clue. So they just wanted a dam. Yeah. And then they uh, were too timid to go for uh, at all for the 200 at more than a thousand feet above the water. The highest of these in the U.S. spans Royal Gorge in Colorado. Um, that is a bridge. Yes. Um, yeah. You <laughs> didn't is. need to know the name of the bridge. Nope. You just need to know that it's a bridge. Yeah. I had to try so hard not to instill a fear of heights into my daughter last time we went to the Royal Gorge. Because I have a terrible fear of heights. And we walked Mm. across that bridge. And I had to be brave so as not to make her afraid of something if she wasn't. And she wasn't. Mm -hmm. Because she was totally fine walking up to the edge of it. And of course, there's like, you know, a chain link like barrier. And like, you're not going to fall off. I was like, are you okay? But what if you You, do? Are you good there? Okay. Uh. Uh, It looked to me like Lindsay was having some fun here. Um... I don't know what her personal connection or interest in any of these are, but in particular, I thought I saw her light up a little bit in a couple of the clues on the things to do on a rainy day category. At the $800 level, organize your closet using the KonMari method Mm -hmm. and get rid of items that no longer do this two-word catchphrase. And she said, what is spark joy? I think we've all... Uh, <laughs> we've all been through the, the Marie Kondo phase of American life together. Yeah, I think uh, so. Yeah. 
And then at the $1,000 level, create beautiful landscapes using techniques taught by this late PBS host in his Joy of Painting videos. Uh, It's Bob Ross. Bob Ross. Yeah. She looked happy to get that one, too. I mean, who wouldn't be? Yeah. We get the first daily double in the literary characters category. Uh, It's pick number six. It's at the $800 level. Uh, Lindsay finds this one. She is in the lead at 2200 over Amy's zero and Colin's 1000 and she wagers 1000 She gets a clue. This title character says, quote, I am jealous of the portrait you have painted of me. Why should it keep what I must lose? And that is Dorian Gray. And she gets that right. Mm-hmm. I tried reading that book. I thought it was kind of... Bad? Overrated. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I know, I'm sure it speaks to some people, but I found the writing style um, tiresome. <laughs> yeah. Tiresome is a word that came to my mind also. Yeah. And for a, for a novel that is ostensibly about debauchery, like, boy, did it just drag on. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, not a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's just a lot of guys sitting around like drinking and smoking mm-hmm. um i wouldn't really know because i didn't i didn't get through it all so yeah no no need to go back to that one i don't know there are some there are some books that are like important because they are like in themselves so well crafted and like always you know r- remain worthwhile and then there are some books that are important because like they tried something new and interesting that like led to other ideas and you know our predecessors of, of important important or relevant things and i feel like this is this is more the second one mm-hmm. um yeah I it's good really to know about it either but you don't yeah not really good to read kind of like joseph yeah. conrad hmm yep i would say that i mean you know if you're gonna if you're gonna read oscar wilde the importance of being earnest has held up mm. i think mm-hmm. the picture of dorian gray i don't know just read the cliff notes you're fine yeah, know what it's about. You don't have to. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. at the end of the, the Jeopardy round, uh, Lindsay has worked herself up to 7,000. Colin is at 5,000 and Amy is at 2,800. And we get the double Jeopardy categories, Explorers, On the Cover, Capital Birthplaces, Chemical Elements, Daytime TV, and Animal Quotes. Mm-hmm. And the Animal Quotes category, do you know what that $1,600 level one is from? I don't recognize it. Oh, it has pretty teeth, dear, and he shows them pearly white. Yeah. Those are the lyrics from Mac the Knife. Oh! Oh, the shark has pretty teeth, dear, and he shows them a pearly white. That was my spot on Louis Armstrong impression, in case you were wondering. That was nice. So yeah, you you have to know that. <laughs> like right. there there's yeah, there's no clue in the lyrics as to be like, oh yeah, that's a shark. It's you just I was trying to think of like a book or something, a movie. Yeah, no, I was just in like yeah. yeah no. I mean I've I've heard Mac the Knife, but I I don't I was not I was never gonna get it. Yeah, that. you have to have it memorized. Yeah. Um both of the Daily Doubles came up really early in the round. Uh, Daily Double number two was in the Capital Birthplaces category at the $1,600 level. It was the second pick. Colin found it and wagered 5400 That's a true Daily Double. Amy was at 2800 at this point and Lindsay at 7000 And he gets the clue, playwriting president Václav Havel. And he correctly responds, what is Prague? 
is it I, I, I truly don't know. Is it Vaslav or is it Vaklov? I, I believe it is Vatslav, like Vatslav. a T S sound. But let me Interesting. let me okay. just check myself here. I, I looked it up a while back because I was going to quote him in a sermon. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. No, I, I'm I am looking it up. It is definitely Vatslav. I don't think I have the right H sound because those H's <laughs> are uh, <laughs> there are a lot of other H's than the kind that we say in English, mm. and um, English speakers can't necessarily make them all. Oh no no no! That does actually look. It looks like it's a symbol, but it uh, but it means it means an H like like we say. Oh, okay. Um, so it is Havel. Yeah, Vatslav Havel. Uh, the third daily double also shows up early in the round. It's pick number five. In the chemical elements category, uh, at the $1,200 level, uh, Colin finds this one also. He is up to $12,000 over Amy's $2,800 and Lindsay's $7,000. It's been the Colin show so far in the Double Jeopardy round. And he gets the clue. Lightweight and strong, this element is named for the group that preceded the Olympians in mythology. And he gets that right with titanium. Mm -hmm. So he extends his lead even farther. Yep. And Lindsay trails behind a little below him for double jeopardy. There's one point where they I think they cross just like just for one question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he's back in the lead again. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, uh, Colin is in the lead with 18,400. Lindsay has 13,000. Amy is at 4,400. And we get the final jeopardy category 20th century art. And the clue is, in Occupied Paris, a German officer asked Picasso if he had done this masterpiece. He replied, no, you did. Uh, Amy has wagered 4,000. I think that uh, that makes sense, kind of given the scores. And correctly responds, what is Guernica? Uh, Lindsay has wagered 7,000, also has the correct answer. So she comes up to 20,000. Uh, but Colin has the correct answer as well and wagered 7,700, bringing him up to 26,100. So he is our champion going into Friday. Yes, he is. And I've talked about Guernica. Yes. I think I've done it a couple times. I know I did it when, uh, oh my gosh, what was I talking about when I talked about that? What were, was it Salvador Dali? Was there, was there a connection there? Mm. Um, maybe not. We have so many episodes. Yeah, now. I know. We, we're at a year. Yeah. This is episode 51. And what? we've done, you know, bonus episodes in between. So, mm-hmm. gosh, I don't know. Did I Have I talked about the Spanish Civil War? I don't think so. But maybe mm. I did. I don't even remember. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I remember talking about it in a quiz because I asked about the Condor Legion. Right, yes. responsible for the bombing of Guernica. Anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, that takes us into Friday. And on Friday, we get Jamel Shannon, a senior crime scene analyst from Las Vegas, Nevada. Which just, she just sounds like a, a television character right there. Mm-hmm. Brian Adams, an educator from Big Bear Lake, California. And Colin Davey, a data scientist originally from Chicago, Illinois, whose one-day cash winnings total $26,100. And we get the Jeopardy round categories, a Catholic education. Anagrams, how novel. A number between three and five. (laughs) 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 Historic Uh, objects. (laughs) Um, Dame Yankees. Uh, And these are American women who have been given an honorary British title, which is interesting. And idioms. I believe a number between three and five is a uh, celebrity Jeopardy on 
Saturday Night Live reference, yes. but I could be wrong. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Will Ferrell as Alex Trebek asks the contestants for Final Jeopardy to write a number, any number. Any number. <laughs> and somebody playing French Stewart, right? Yeah. Writes down three. Combination of three and five. Yes. Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the reference. Um, that's a great reference. I love that reference. Um, it's so good. It's so funny. <laughs> I'm kind of disappointed none of the contestants asked for it as Threve. I would have been very tempted to. <laughs> In their shoes. That'd, that'd been <laughs> like Threve for a thousand. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, could we talk... About oh no, I understand why that why this response was incorrect. In the idioms category at the two hundred dollar level, a part of a garment is mentioned in this phrase that means I accidentally called you from my cell phone. Brian rang in and said, "What is butt dial?" Which is a verb that people use to meet meaning to accidentally call from their cell phone. Um, they were looking for pocket dial. Jamel got the rebound on that. I yeah. see now that it says a part of a garment and a butt is not really part of a garment. No, usually we call that the seat of the pants right. or, or something yeah. else like that. We euphemize yeah. the... Yeah. Euphemize? Yeah. Well, it sounds Euf- right. E- euphemerate. <laughs> Way to verb it. Thanks. That was a good category. I, I, I enjoyed these a lot. I like the, the novel anagrams, too. Mm-hmm. Maybe because I got all of them, which probably means they were fairly gettable, but <laughs> I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, I liked that one, too. Brian had a tough run right at the beginning and ended up getting down to, what was it, like negative... Negative 2,000, I think. Negative 2,000? Yeah. Before eventually climbing out of the hole. Mm-hmm. We find Daily Double number one in the historic objects category at the $1,000 level as the eighth pick. Colin finds this one and wagers a thousand uh he only has 400 at this point brian is at negative 2000 at this time jamel has 1200 and colin gets the clue for more than a century greece has asked britain for the return of the elgin marbles mostly taken from this ancient temple and he guesses what is the temple of diana not a bad guess one of the seven wonders of the ancient world Mm -hmm. uh the correct response here though is the parthenon yes 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 Mm -hmm. Although, I mean, if you're going with the Greek name, it would be Temple of Artemis. But right. that's splitting hairs, I realize. Mm-hmm. Which trivia people never do. No. So. Never. Never, ever. Mm. I kept waiting in the historic objects category for the Maltese Falcon, but then I found it in the Anagrams How Novel category. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We, I mean, we also did very recently have a Maltese Falcon clue, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a few weeks ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I know the. I mean, obviously we talk about how the writers have certain thing, you know, they go back to the same wells, but uh, I feel like that would be Mm -hmm. a bit too soon. Yeah. Nobody knew the Jesuits. Yeah. And the Catholic education category. Yes. Founded by Ignatius Loyola. That's right. Who we just talked about last week in the quiz. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round... Colin is in the lead with 4,600. Jamel is in second place with 3,000. And Brian has 2,400. And we get the categories. That is so, so Cal. Opera. Hybrids. 
movie sum up, helpful hints, and it starts with you, you in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. The movie sum up category was hilarious, <laughs> I thought. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's very much in the vein, in the vein of, uh, you know, summarize a, a film plot badly. Yeah. <laughs> we started that one with, uh, at the $400 level, a cop saves his troubled marriage by visiting his wife in LA and killing a bunch of people in her office building. Uh, Colin got that one. That's Die Hard, everyone's favorite Christmas movie. Yes. Uh, I watched it last year um, for the first time. I know that's embarrassing, eh, but now I've seen it. It's not embarrassing that you've seen it. True. Uh, yesterday, I watched Terminator for the first time. For the first time? For the first time. Yesterday, watching Terminator for the first time, I found out that Arnold Schwarzenegger is not the hero. (laughs) Uh, No. (laughs) No, he is, in fact, the Terminator. (laughs) Right. (laughs) No. (laughs) That's that's the second movie, sort of. (laughs) All right. We'll see what happens with all that. <laughs> anyway, oh, really uh, just in case anyone was laboring under the impression that, I, that I'm really smart at stuff. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you've never seen it, like he, you know, he's the main. Yeah. It would seem that he's the protagonist with all of the like advertising sort of thing. Yeah. But mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah. And the $2,000 question in that, uh, in that category too, we got death takes a chess holiday. Your move, Max von Sydow. Brian Negs on Checkmate. Jamel Negs on what is Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Alex says, "Oh no, not even close." Although that's not that's not super wrong. I mean, I mean, it is. It's not close in terms of like years, but I believe there is a uh, like a a reference to it in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Could be wrong. It, I I saw that when I was young and have not seen it in a while. But um, that's the Seventh Seal, an Ingmar Bergman film. Uh, yeah. Just classic scene. Yeah. I, I was able to get the seventh seal, although I haven't seen it. I also hadn't seen Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, um, but I, I I figured that there must be something in it that mm. led Jamel to guess it. You know, that's not one of those, oh, I just mixed those two up yeah. kinds oh, of you situations. Know, you know how you do mixing up yeah. Bill and Ted and <laughs> Ingmar Bergman. <laughs> the second Daily Double. Uh, showed up in the hybrids category. I love this cat. I really liked these boards today. These were very good. Um, yeah. It was at the $1,200 level. Brian found it, and uh, he was at 4400 barely in the lead over Colin and Jamel, who were tied at 4200 He wagered 2400 and he got the clue. A favorite decorative motif of the Middle East, this mythical creature is also an in-house favorite at Jeopardy. And they showed a picture. He got it correct. It's a griffin. Like Merv Griffin. Oh, that's where they were going with that. The picture, like the thing sort of looked like they had heads on both ends. And I was like, well, it can't be a push me, pull you from Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> <Dr>. <laughs> Usually not. I got stuck until Brian said a Griffin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we find the third Daily Double in the opera category. They, uh... Stayed away from the opera category until pretty late in the game, but they had 
at this point, they had they had correctly answered on the first try, I think, uh, mm-hmm. all of the questions. Um, but as the 23rd pick at the $2,000 level, Jamel uncovers the third daily double. She wagers just 2000 um, of her 8200 It's a very close game with Colin at 8600 and Brian at 6800 And she gets the clue Henry Kissinger and Mao Zedong are characters in this 20th century opera. She guesses what is Madame Butterfly. Uh, the correct response here is Nixon in China. It is. I love that opera. I don't know how I knew it, but I did know it. I, I'm not... I haven't like heard the opera, but I knew of it somehow. I, I mean, I might have talked about it at some point in the last year because I John Adams is one of my very favorite composers, and mm. uh, that is one of his works. Not necessarily telling any, everyone to just go and watch it because it is it is pretty long, and if you're not super into minimalist music, it can feel like it drags. But if you look up the Chairman Dances, uh, that is an excellent piece taken from that opera. Hmm. Oh. Yeah. John Adams was born in Worcester, Massachusetts. Oh, well, how about that? Hometown mm. hero, right? Mm-hmm. Wait, which John Adams? Are you talking about the... No, the that composer. John Adams was... Uh, oh, uh, uh, Was this... what, Braintree, Massachusetts? Where's John? Yes. Yeah, John Adams, the like the 20th century composer, was, was born in Worcester, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Which I did not know. All right. Uh, so at the end of the Double Jeopardy round... It is a close game. Brian's in the lead at 9,200, Jamel's at 8,600, and Colin's at 8,200. So only $1,000 separates all three of them. And they get the final Jeopardy category, 19th century Supreme Court cases. And the clue, part of the dissent in this 1896 landmark case read, in respect of civil rights, all citizens are equal before the law. Uh, Colin wagered zero. Clever boy. And he uh, wrote, what is Plessy v. Ferguson? And that is correct. Uh, Jamel wagered 4000 And she guessed, what is the Dred Scott case? Uh, which was incorrect. Uh, but Brian made a cover bet. And also correctly responded, what is Plessy versus Ferguson? Mm-hmm. 1896 should have um if you if you know your supreme court history a little bit um should have helped you uh get that it was plessy not dred scott yeah dred scott was dealing with escaped slave law that's right runaway uh, slave law which at by by 1896 should not have been an issue mm-hmm. and uh the dissenting opinion in question was written by uh john marshall harlan um, who was nominated to the court by Rutherford B. Hayes, whom we talked about a couple weeks ago. Huh. Well, look at that. Everything comes yeah. full circle. It sure does. Yeah, Brian is the champion. Mm-hmm. He's coming back on Monday. Yeah. Fun to see him come back from that negative uh, 2,000 in in the first round up, yes. to, um, up to a very uh, satisfying win. Which, you know... I've had this feeling more and more, especially having experienced it it twice <laughs> in terms of like losing to it. But double jeopardy is where it really matters. Right. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to, you know, take a firm stance and, you know, disparage an entire like half of the show that we are talking about every week. But double jeopardy is where it really matters. <laughs> right. I mean, 
comparing the the uh, $200 clues to the $2,000 clues, right? That's 10 times as much money that you're playing mm-hmm. around with there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's, you know, top of the board versus bottom of the board. But but yeah, I, I'm coming to think that every daily double one wager should be a true daily double. You know, I, I've had that thought cross my mind too. And it's like, you know, given the amount of money that's on the board in double jeopardy, y- you may as well. Yeah. You just should. Yeah, it. I I agree. I'm I'm I have come to believe that as well. Anyway, uh, so that's that's the end of the week, and we are at the point where uh, we encourage you to continue to uh, support social justice movements. Um, things are still not better, <laughs> just because a bunch of time has passed. Uh, I know if you're like me, it's very easy to lull yourself into a sense of well. I haven't been hearing as much about it, so it must have gotten fixed. Uh, and yeah, that's not just, fixed. That is just not the case. Um, so remind yourself, keep yourself apprised of you know real relevant information and do what you can to help. Obviously, with coronavirus numbers spiking again, in-person kind of stuff is not a good idea. But there are still ways that you can help, still ways that you can support. So we encourage you to check out communityjusticeexchange.org and blacklivesmatter.com. And uh, just make sure that you are going to vote. I've realized the registration deadline has passed for a lot of states by now, but vote. <laughs> Please yep. vote. Please vote. All right. Emily, do you have deep dive guesses? I have too many, and that's the problem. Right? There um, were a lot of triple stumpers this week. There and a were. lot of good potential topics. Yes. Are we talking about Mesa Verde? We are not talking about Mesa Verde. Okay. Are we talking about Cro-Magnon? No, that one was close. I, I was very, very strongly looking at that, but uh, no. Very strongly looking at that. Um, uh, what about the Grapes of Wrath? Uh, no, we're not, we're not talking about the Grapes of Wrath. Um, I've actually never read it. I have not either. Um, so I feel... If I were going to talk about a book, I would feel like I would need to have read that book <laughs> in order to, because like anyone who had read it would then be able to be like, no, you're, you're just wrong about <laughs> a lot of yeah, stuff. So that's fair. Nope. Hey, this is like the first week in a long time that you haven't guessed the, <laughs> the actual. <laughs> Not sure about that, but okay. <laughs> I mean, it feels like it. Uh, no, we're at, we are talking about, it's uh, from the primates category uh, that you guessed the Cro-Magnon guess but it is the clue above it um it's a 1600 clue this is from monday in the double jeopardy round the the clue is as its appearance may help you guess in the tarsier this cortex is extremely large especially in the v1 section joe on monday uh, nagged with what is it the frontal cortex what is the frontal cortex but that's not it it is the visual cortex i'm not specifically talking about the visual cortex instead i am going to go through the parts of the brain oh that'll be great and a little bit about their functions obviously you know neuro neurology and neuroscience is something that people spend their entire lives studying so i've I will not be able to hit every part of the brain. I will not be able to hit all of the functions and do it the real justice that uh, an actual devoted study would do. But I'm going to go through, in general, the the basic structure of the brain and what each part does in a very uh, general sense. 
and then we'll have a quiz. Awesome. So when we are talking about the brain, we have to divide it into uh, different parts. And one of the pretty common ways to split it up is talking about the forebrain and the midbrain and the hindbrain. So the forebrain is the largest part, uh, and it is uh, basically the entire cerebrum with the cerebral cortex and everything that is underneath it, which are called the subcortical structures. So the cerebrum is when you look at look at a diagram of the brain, it's the biggest part. It's where all the wrinkles are. And when you're looking at like gray matter, it's pretty much what you see. And the, uh, the cerebral cortex is the layer on the outside of the brain. The, uh, the structures that lie underneath the cortex uh, include the thalamus, the hypothalamus, the pituitary gland, and the limbic system, which is uh, another collection of structures. Uh, the cerebral cortex, which again is the outer surface, uh, it's associated with higher level processes such as consciousness, thought, emotion, reasoning, language, and memory. And the cerebrum is divided into hemispheres, the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere. And each hemisphere can be subdivided into four lobes, each associated with different functions. Now, mentioning the hemispheres, there has been a very prevalent, I guess, concept that the two different hemispheres of the brain serve two very different functions, right? Mm -hmm. The the left side is very uh, analytical and math and science focused, right? Mm-hmm. Very, very structural and organized. Uh, and then the right side is the creative artistic side. Mm-hmm. And that's not particularly accurate. Um, okay. Oh, good to know. Uh, that's, that's, I mean, I'm not an expert on that and I shouldn't get too deep into it. It's not entirely true. Um, okay. Most of the things that we consider these higher level, uh, higher order thinking skills uh, require multiple parts of the brain. Uh, and they're in different places, and it it just isn't really a left brain right brain kind of thing. But it is still a convenient way to conceptualize, like you know, scientific versus creative thinking. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the four lobes of the brain are the frontal lobe, the parietal lobe, the temporal lobe, and the occipital lobe. The frontal lobe is located in the forward part of the brain. That's why it's frontal. And it extends from the very front of the brain up behind your forehead back to a fissure known as the central sulcus. So fissures are the deep grooves, the separations within your cerebrum uh, when you're looking at a model like that. Uh, Sulcuses are the, or sulci, I guess, are the um, kind of the grooves that you see. So the central sulcus uh, is where the frontal lobe and parietal lobe are uh, separated. The frontal lobe is involved in reasoning, motor control, emotion, and language. Uh, It controls the motor cortex, uh, and that is just to the front of that central sulcus. And the motor cortex is involved in planning and coordinating movement. And then there's the prefrontal cortex, which is like the very front part of the brain. And that is the part of the brain that's responsible for higher level cognitive functioning, uh, as well as... Uh, reasoning, you know, future planning, inhibition, control. And that's kind of the last part that develops, which is why teenagers are not uh, good at making long-term decisions normally. Mm-hmm. I say teenagers, uh, young people. <laughs> <laughs> you can be 20 and still make bad decisions. 
uh, or good decisions. I'm painting with a broad brush there. Anyway, it also uh, uh, includes Broca's area, which is one of the uh, language centers of the brain. There are two primary language areas, uh, Broca's area and Wernicke's area. Broca's area is essential for language production. So people who suffer damage to Broca's area have difficulty producing language of any form. That includes writing or speaking language. Damage to Broca's area does not inhibit your ability to understand language. So someone who has uh, damage to that part of their brain can still like listen to people speaking fully well. They can read. Uh, they can you know, think normally, but when it comes to getting that language out, either through speech or writing, it just doesn't happen. Or there isn't like some sort of uh, difficulty with it. You know, all of those functions in the in the frontal lobe are kind of, in a way, what make us human, right? It's our it's our ability to think and where our personality resides, sort of thing. Talking about the frontal lobe, we we have to mention the case of Phineas Gage, which uh, is a name you might have heard. If if not. Phineas Gage is, is probably the most famous case of frontal lobe damage. He was a railroad worker, and on September 13th, 1848, when he was 25 years old, he there was an explosion in a blasting hole that shot an iron rod through his face and head. Uh, and it pierced through his frontal lobe, but it did not deal any kind of like lethal blow because... Even though he had a hole in his face and brain matter like coming out of his head, he got up and walked around and was able to speak. Uh, but after this this uh, accident, people noticed that his personality had changed. Before it was said he was a well mannered, soft spoken man, but afterward he had like odd and inappropriate behaviors, um, which was one of the the first big like instances of the scientific community being able to point to. Like, you know, the, the power of the brain and, and the, the idea that your personality resides there rather than, like, in a more, like, kind of ephemeral soul. There's some evidence that perhaps the drastic change to his personality were exaggerated in order to support this new scientific idea, but um, it's not really, like... There, there's no way to say for sure how exaggerated it was, but there was documentation that it did clearly affect his personality. So I mentioned the motor cortex, the primary motor motor cortex, right at the back of the frontal lobe. It's in charge of voluntary movements, like waving, wiggling your eyebrows. Um, and the different parts of the motor cortex are different sizes, depending on the complexity and use of that particular like motor skill or that part of the body. So like our the the section that works with the lips is actually rather large because think about all of the exact fine complicated movements and coordination that we need in order to speak our language as opposed to something like the eyebrows we can only move the eyebrows so much it's not a terribly complicated uh, function so that area of the motor cortex is much smaller like I said, the cerebral cortex and, in general, the frontal lobe are associated with sophisticated functions like planning and self-awareness and are considered to be, you know, higher, less primal part of the brain. Uh, but other animals, of course, have frontal regions, uh, although they don't have nearly the same level of development in the cerebral cortices. The parietal lobe which is behind the frontal lobe, so moving back, it's kind of in the middle top of the brain. Uh, it's involved in processing information from the body's senses, so it 
contains the somatosensory cortex, which processes sensory information from the body such as touch, temperature, and pain. The somatosensory cortex is organized topographically, which means that the spatial relationships that exist in the body are generally maintained on the surface of the somatosensory cortex. So what that means is like the the part of that cortex which processes information from the hand is adjacent to the portion that processes information from the wrist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's really all. That's what the parietal lobe does. The temporal lobe is located on the side of the head, like near the temples, and it's associated with hearing, memory, emotion, and some aspects of language. So the temporal lobe is where the is where Vernica's area is, and Vernica's area is important for speech comprehension as well as like written language comprehension. So, like I said, you know, people who have damage to Broca's area can't produce language. Those with damage to Vernica's area strangely would be able to produce sensible language, although they are unable to understand it. So if you like, if that part of your brain is damaged later in life, you could still express yourself normally, even though people speaking to you would, you know, perhaps sound like gobbledygook. Hmm. Along with that, the, the temporal lobe contains the auditory cortex, which is, of course, um, responsible for processing auditory information. Uh, the occipital lobe is located on the very back of the brain. It contains the primary visual cortex. So that's where the clue was coming in, which is in, responsible for interpreting visual information. That's mostly what the occipital lobe does, is take care of uh, visual information. Aside from the lobes, there is the subcortical uh, structures that I mentioned. Um, these are located beneath the cerebral cortex and... Uh, like I said, including the thalamus and the limbic system. The thalamus is a sensory relay for the brain. It's kind of like a switchboard. So most of the sensory inputs come into the thalamus, and then they are sent off to the part of the brain that deals with them. Uh, however, smell is not routed through the thalamus. Uh, the limbic system is involved in processing both emotion and memory. So smell goes directly to the limbic system. It does not route through the thalamus, which is why smell can evoke emotional, mem you know, more mem memory responses hmm. uh, than yeah. any other, other senses, right? We say s smell is most closely tied to memory or whatever. Mm -hmm. that's, that's why, because they are processed in the same place. The limbic system is made up of a number of different structures. Three of the most important ones are the hippocampus, the amygdala, and the hypothalamus. The hippocampus which is called that because it's shaped like a seahorse, is an essential structure for learning and memory. So uh, you you cannot process memories uh, from like short-term to long-term and long-term to like more established long-term without the hippocampus. The amygdala is highly involved in our uh, experience of emotion and tying emotional meaning to our memories. Uh, it also has a strong uh, role in the fight-or-flight response. And mm -hmm. the hypothalamus regulates a number of the homeostatic processes, including the regulation of body temperature, appetite, and blood pressure. It also serves as an interface between the nervous system and the endocrine system, uh, and in the regulation of sexual motivation and behavior. So the hypothalamus is uh, multifaceted and very important. Mm -hmm. Then we get to the midbrain. So uh, the forebrain, that was like the big, largest portion of the brain by far. 
The midbrain is comprised of structures located deep within the brain between the forebrain and the hindbrain. Uh, the reticular formation is centered here, even though it extends up into the forebrain and down into the hindbrain. The reticular formation is important in regulating the sleep-wake cycle, uh, arousal, alertness, and motor activity. The substantia nigra, which is Latin for black substance, and the ventral tegmental area are located in the midbrain, and they contain cell bodies that produce the neurotransmitter dopamine, uh, and both are critical for movement. Degeneration of the Sustantia nigra and the VTA is involved in Parkinson's disease. They also are involved in mood, uh, reward, and addiction, um, which, if you know anything about dopamine, that's where all of that happens. <laughs> you get those dopamine hits when you feel good. and uh, The hindbrain is located at the back of the head and looks like an extension of the spinal cord. It contains the medulla, or medulla oblongata, the pons, and the cerebellum. The medulla controls the automatic processes of the autonomic nervous system, such as breathing, blood pressure, and heart rate. The word pons literally means bridge, and as the name suggests, the pons serves to connect the hindbrain to the rest of the brain. Uh, it is also involved in regulating brain activity during sleep. Uh, the medulla, pons, and various structures around them are known as the brain stem, and aspects of the brain stem span both the midbrain and the hindbrain. The cerebellum, which is right on the back, like the back bottom part of the brain, uh, kind of just shoved in there underneath the, the occipital lobe. It receives messages from muscles, tendons, joints, and structures in our ear to control our balance, coordination, movement, and motor skills. The cerebellum is also thought to be an important area for processing some types of memories, in particular procedural memory or memory involved in learning and remembering how to perform tasks is thought to be associated with it. And uh, yeah, so the, the so the cerebellum is is important for like co muscle coordination and movement, but the remember the control like the the purposeful conscious control of muscles is in the uh, motor cortex. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's it. <laughs> that's that's what I got. That's the brain. <laughs> All right. So quick recap. There's the, the forebrain, midbrain, and hindbrain, right? You can also think of it in terms of the names of the structures. So the cerebrum is the big main part. That's where most of the... That's where all of the thought happens and also uh, most of the sensory uh, processing. Then you get inside uh, into the subcortical structures where emotions are regulated sensory information is brought in to, you know, to deal with kind of more immediate reactions, emotions and uh, reward and that kind of thing. And then you move back mm -hmm. to the really basic, like, this is what keeps you alive sort of stuff. Yeah. Cool. So there you go. Yeah. This was helpful. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like I said, there's so much more to it. But I figured that would be enough for trivia people who maybe never learned about the brain or forgot about the brain to be like, oh, yeah, that's what those parts are. That's the names. Get it back. All right. You ready for a quiz? I am always ready for a quiz. Awesome. For about uh, three of these questions, I ended up like going kind of down a rabbit hole, but they're all related to it. Not the first one. Okay. This one. This one came to me pretty much right away. All right. Question one. Dr. Neocortex is the antagonist 
of what video game series? The title character is a genetically engineered marsupial who defends his home, the Wumpa Islands, from Dr. Cortex with the help of tiki masks and various types of crates. The fourth main franchise installment, subtitled It's About Time, came out earlier this month and continued the tradition of being exclusive to the PlayStation. Oh no. I feel like I've heard of this, but I don't think I'm going to be able to pull it. Um... You clearly don't watch enough Twitch. I... Or any Twitch. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, zero is the amount of Twitch I watch, I believe. Um... Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be able to make a, a reasonable guess. Just give it to me. Uh, that would be Crash Bandicoot. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. That's a thing. I, I was correct. I was never, ever going to pull that. <laughs> okay. Okay. I kind of figured. I was like, this this one might be, might not be. It was be a yet. fair question for a trivia person. <laughs> sure. Um, and yeah, if you, if you had an instinct I wasn't going to get it, it's because you sort of are starting to, or more than starting to, like, you know, you know what kinds of questions are like. In your wheelhouse. In my wheelhouse, and not. which questions are really not. Um, but this is, I, I've seen this enough to know this was a fair trivia question. All right. <laughs> uh, question two. I feel like we've talked about this person, so I, I'm pretty sure you'll get it. Uh, neurology and psychology are indelibly linked. Many psychologists and neurologists have written about their observations and conclusions in case studies intended for public consumption. One such neurologist who passed away in 2015 educated countless laypeople with books such as Musicophilia and The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. Who was this British scientist and author? Um, I know of him. That's Oliver Sacks. That is Oliver Sacks. Man, reading The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat in high school, I was like, this is the coolest thing in the whole world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I've read little bits and pieces of Oliver Sacks, but I've never actually read um, of any of his books in their entirety. Hmm. I, I don't think I've finished Musicophilia, which is strange because we have three copies of it on our shelf and I don't know why. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. But I do need to, especially as like you know, a musician. It would probably be pretty important. Anyway, nice job. Ten points. Question three. This is where I started getting down a rabbit hole. In The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, and more notably Awakenings from 1973, Sachs described the effects of what, at the time, new drug. Other scientists in the 1960s had discovered that it was an effective treatment for Parkinson's disease, and Sachs found similar results for patients with encephalitis lethargica. The name of the drug is derived from the neurotransmitter that it emulates. Hmm. I feel like I should be able to come up with it. Um, I'm trying to think of neurotransmitters. Um, you talked about it being used for Parkinson's, is that right? Yep. And what else was in there? Um, was there another? Was there another condition that it was that was mentioned? Yeah. In yes. Sachs used it with um, encephalitis lethargica, which okay. I don't know if that helps you. <laughs> mm, not especially. The neurotransmitters that are coming to mind are probably not the right ones. I keep thinking about dopamine. We talked about dopamine just a second ago was thinking about serotonin. I don't think that's the right one. Um, like oxytocin's a neurotransmitter, or maybe not. Um, none of those are helpful. Was it a new drug, you said? Yes, in the All 60s. Right. 
Okay. All right. You said awakenings, and I was like, oh, maybe it's caffeine, but caffeine wasn't a new drug in the 60s. Um, <laughs> let's say amphetamines. I don't think that's right, but it's better to say something than nothing. True, uh, but it is L-DOPA. Oh, okay. Which uh, was pretty revolutionary in the treatment of Parkinson's because, uh, like I mentioned you know, the limbic system uh, mm-hmm. where dopamine is pretty present is uh, responsible for Parkinson's disease and other things like that. So uh, imbalance or, or lack of dopamine is, is usually one cause for Parkinson's disease. And uh, and so treating that is with the drug L-DOPA, which is a, they can't just pump dopamine straight into you because dopamine doesn't can't cross the blood brain barrier, but L-DOPA mm. can. And then L-DOPA huh. gets in and it is a type of dopamine, so it does that that job. Cool. Okay. Uh, question four. Uh, still, this is why I said I was in a rabbit hole. Awakenings was made into a 1990 Oscar-winning film with Robert De Niro and Robin Williams. It also inspired a play, or inspired the play, A Kind of Alaska, by what British playwright slash actor slash director slash screenwriter? This man is known for such plays as The Birthday Party from 1957, The Homecoming from 1964, and Betrayal in 1978. In 2005, he was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature. Oh no. I I think I don't I don't I don't think I'm going to know him. Um I'm trying to even think of like a playwright that I know the name but can't remember much about them. I think he's American. I'm just going to say Mamet. This is Harold Pinter. Oh, I've heard of him. Yeah. Uh, preparing for the Tournament of Champions. I was like, I know nothing about pr- playwrights. So I'm going to make a bunch of flashcards about playwrights. And Harold Pinter was one of them. Yeah. And so I came across that and I was like, oh, how about that? Okay. Question five. Because I am a good parent, I built one of these for my children. It can be called an operant conditioning chamber. Essentially, it is an enclosed apparatus with a button that, when pressed, causes something to happen. For my kids, they get food or water or toys. Because I care about them. What is the more common name for this device, which is named after the psychologist who pioneers its use, but with animals? Uh, this is a, You're talking about a Skinner box, right? Yes, I'm talking about a Skinner box. <laughs> <laughs> just, just kidding. I don't, I don't use a Skinner box on my kid. Although, although it is tempting. It's so enclosed, so safe in there. Uh, yeah, and you physically, know, what? If you physically do, safe. Yeah, if you do the right thing, you get food. I, mm-hmm. I don't like you talk back to me. You don't get water. I don't see the problem here. <laughs> How are kids supposed to learn? That's some, uh, some A plus. Emotionally intelligent parenting. Emotions are just yeah. feelings. It's fun. <laughs> uh, okay, so we are at the final. I'm at, I'm at 20, 20 points. 20 points, which isn't zero. I believe I've... Anyway, I've done worse. You're at 20 points. And the uh, the category... Um, I'll, I'll just go with, like, psychological concepts. I'm at 20. I feel like I need to wager all of them. I'll make it a... We'll go all in. Yeah. Yeah. Let's double this up. I hope. All right. So here we go. The last question 
Concerned operant conditioning, which is training voluntary behavior by associating it with a consequence. Any good trivia enthusiast knows that a Pavlov is shorthand for a knee-jerk reaction or associating an involuntary response with a certain stimulus. What kind of conditioning is this? Oh my goodness. Classical conditioning is the phrase that's coming to mind. I'm going to stay with that, although I am not as confident as I would like to be. Well, you should be because it is classical conditioning. Nice job. All right, we did double it up. Yay. Yeah, I I went through a number of versions of that question because I wanted to include a Pavlov in there. I felt like it was appropriate. Mm -hmm. Well, nice job. You got 40 points. That is not bad. It could be worse. It could be worse. It could be any of the many zeros that I've ended with. Uh, I believe I've ended with a few myself. Although sometimes I like to leave myself one point. But that's that's uh, fair. Yeah. (laughs) For no reason. (laughs) Uh, It'll matter at some point. Because we've been doing this for a year now. Yeah. Yes. And that's so. So it matters. There we go. There we go, because we're in charge of this, so we can say what matters. Yeah. Um, anyway. Well, thank you for thank a great you. deep dive and yeah, a great quiz. No problem. And thanks to our listeners for spending your time with us. Uh, great to talk about Jeopardy with you. Um, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it would help us if you would leave a rating or a review as well. That's right. Uh, you can check out our Patreon. It is patreon.com slash We'll get new stuff up there at some point, eventually, I think. Uh, And even if that's not, uh, you know, something that you can necessarily do, that's totally okay. You can help us out by telling your friends. Uh, They can find us on Facebook at Potent Potables and Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com and our website is potentpod.com. We'll be back with you next week for another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. 